Welcome to the LTID Network Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Anderson, and on this podcast, we seek out the world's best researchers, coaches, support staff, teachers, and athletes to better understand the process of long-term athlete development. Don't forget to get your seven-day free trial to our online platform and 50% off your first month with the code LTADVIP50. That's LTADVIP50 at the LTAD Network Hub website. This podcast episode is sponsored by Statera. Statera is a web-based application that helps youth athletes and their stakeholders estimate training load, track maturation status, monitor readiness, and manage injury. Put together by coaches working with busy youth athletes, Statera helps keep things simple and brings together the most important training information in one place to ensure that effective athlete-centered decisions can be made. No more complicated Excel tutorials and spreadsheets. Just upload your athletes' data and their training schedule and start to take control of their training commitments and workload. Make more informed decisions and protect your athletes' well-being, supporting their performance. Statera takes your data very seriously. GDPR compliant and registered with the ICO, choose from a range of maturation indices and validated measures, or customize your own. Statera can record any training variable and all your data is fully exportable. To reach out today and get a free walkthrough, head over to www.statera.uk. That's S-T-A-T-E-R-A dot U-K. If you haven't yet signed up for the LTAD Network Conference, we've just come up with another reason why you should. We've just received approval from the UKSCA to accredit seven CPD points per day of attendance at the 2022 conference. So if you haven't already signed up, head to ltadnetwork.com forward slash events to get your registration in. The conference runs on the 9th and 10th of July from Hartbury University in Gloucester, and we've got some amazing speakers on the schedule already, including James Baker, Dr. Matt Jordan, Dr. Megan Hill, Rob Walsh, Mike Young, David Johnson, Paul Reed, and myself, as well as some more to be announced. So don't delay, head to ltadnetwork.com forward slash events and sign up for the conference today while the early bird discount is still available. Welcome to the LTAD Network podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Amy O'Keefe. Amy is a performance nutritionist at Manchester United Women's Team and owner of Committed Nutrition Limited, her private nutrition coaching company. Amy is passionate about the female athlete, particularly breaking down barriers to fueling and changing attitudes towards carbohydrates. Amy's carried out a lot of research since starting in her role at Manchester United, analyzing areas such as match day minus one carbohydrate intake, injury nutrition, and half-time carbohydrate intake, to name a few. Amy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for sparing your time with us today. No worries, Rob. It's good to, good to be on. So before we dig into the ins and outs of nutrition, give us a bit of an insight into the young Amy growing up. What were the sports that you got stuck into? What were the ones you were good at, not so good at? How did it kind of unravel for you sporting-wise? Yeah, so my my background is, is football. So from the age of four, um, I was playing football at the local um like club called Whiston Juniors, um, based in Liverpool, and yeah, that was me. Just lived for it, loved it. Granddad took me along one Saturday morning, and yeah, that was my sort of upbringing. Um, come from like a really strong Everton uh, background, um, family wise. 
So, yeah, it just, I loved it. And then I guess as I got older, um, I sort of dipped out of football now and again. Like, I think I remember when I got to maybe 16 and it's that age where you want to be going out with your friends on a weekend. Um, so I stopped playing for a bit, then went back for a bit. And then, what did it, yeah, I think I got to maybe like 18 and I've, I was just, I was losing the, lo- the love for it. Um, so I think I did, if I remember rightly, I completely stopped for about a year, but then I went back again. Um, and then done a big chunk really of of football. And then I, it wasn't until I went back to university to do my master's in 2019. Um, I, I sort of had to stop playing football then because something had to give. And I just didn't have a whole day on a Sunday to be traveling around the Northwest. Um, but I guess like within within those years, um, I found like a love for the sports of CrossFit. Um, so the more sort of passionate and into CrossFit I got, the less interest I got in football and I couldn't balance the two. So yeah, I got I got well into to CrossFit and, and went all in with that for a little while too. Nice. So when was it that sports science and nutrition specifically kind of piqued your interest and what made you kind of go down that route rather than maybe going into football coaching specifically or you know some other avenue yeah I think any any sporting kid in school just wants to be a PE teacher I think that's the only thing you can think of unless you want to be a footballer um and I was I soon realized that I didn't want to be a PE teacher um and then went to university and done um, uh, sorry a uh, a degree in I think it was called sports exercise and nutrition or do you know what I can't remember the name of it it was that long ago um sport fitness and exercise or exercise nutrition can't remember anyway even during that time I wasn't very like passionate about any of the subjects I knew I wanted to be involved in sport in some capacity but I just didn't know what so graduated and then I got a job in public health so I went into the NHS and worked for a child weight management program um working with the general public I absolutely I absolutely loved it to be honest um so I, I went down that route for a few years and then I decided to go solo go self-employed and at that time I was coaching CrossFit and I was a PT so I'd literally done that for seven eight years um and during that time of of coaching and and PT and I came across a it was a young uh, female footballer at the time I think she was about 13 maybe and she played for Liverpool and we worked together for years and it wasn't until we worked together maybe three years she was that kind of kid that just did every sport. So she was involved in the cross country. She played football. She played for the school football team. She did everything. And she was really tall, really skinny. Um, and she got this injury where she essentially was out for a whole season, more or less. And it was a pause fracture to her back. And I just started, like, I was by this point well into nutrition. Um, and I was thinking, something's got to be linked here. Like, I, I don't know what it is, but I want to dig deeper. So I have a mutual friend, Um my massage therapist, Steve Heaton, he, he, his best friend is Graham Close, Professor Graham Close. So it was that 
networking and link up that I got the opportunity to ask him face to face like is this linked is it to do with energy intake and expenditure and lo and behold it was um and I was like you know what that's really interesting like I found it like super interesting so that's when I went back to Liverpool John Moores to do my master's in sport nutrition um so it was literally it was more nutrition was always there but it was definitely sparked um when I when I was sort of thinking about how that fracture and the fact that it was really common in teenage boys and um yeah I was like right I'm going back to uni <laughs> brilliant so how did you end up at uh, Man United Women from doing your, your master's in nutrition and what would that did that look like in terms of placements and, and work experience and roles etc yeah so the course at John Moore's is amazing and it was hardest year in my life, um, especially someone going in after being away from education for eight years. It was a bit of a shock <laughs> to the system, I'm not going to lie. But during the placement, everyone gets the opportunity to, sorry, during the course, everyone gets the opportunity to um, take part in a placement. So you, you apply for, God, there was like 20 odd different placement opportunities. And Bit of a funny story really so I put my name in the hat for Man United women but I also put my name in for the actual scholars placement so working with um the, the university scholars and at the time I was thinking oh, I can't do two placements I'm working part-time like yeah and I got a bit overwhelmed so I cancelled the interview for Man United but then Graham Close, and I know I've said this before, maybe on previously to other people, but he he emailed and just said three words, and it was impossible. Nothing is impossible, <laughs> and I couldn't get it out of my head. So I emailed who was then the performance coach, El Turner, and said, "Is there any chance I can come down for an interview again?" <laughs> and she was like, "Yeah." And then what happened was because the the club was. It was new. I think it was a year old when I got there, just being promoted from the championship to the WSL. And myself and a, a guy called Mitch had to go on a like a, a trial day together at the club. And then we were there all day. And then the players had to vote at the end of the day, um, which was pretty intense. <laughs> you had to present in front of them like a bit about your life. And um, yeah, and obviously, the well, not obviously, but the pick me so I was super chuffed um so yeah I started like in the November of um 2019 um, and then finished in the May just as Covid was hitting a bit of a crazy time and then I loved it like absolutely loved it treated it like a full-time job um like give everything to it and I had a really good relationship with the performance coach L10 at the time so then that sort of broke down a, a, a barrier because I, I always got told that SNC coaching nutritionists don't get on. And I was like, oh, this must be a myth because <laughs> we got on really well. Um, and then wasn't involved with them over the summer. I was touching base with some of the players, but I wasn't involved really. And then the manager at the time, Casey Stoney, she pushed the board to find budget for one day a week which was amazing at the time, fresh out of uni. So I went back in the November time, one day a week, and I found it really hard to make an impact. Um, 
because you just weren't there all the time. I just didn't think I was doing a great job. And then Professor James Morton, who is at John Moore's, um, I was still in contact with him. And obviously he oversees like science and sport. And he had a um, an idea that he could provide like a, a full-time contract for six months. So from like January to the end of the season, funded by science and sport, who were the club's sponsor. So obviously I jumped at that and I was in there full-time and I could... Literally within the first month, I was like, I can see changes already. It's, you just need to be on the ground. Um, and then once that ended, I was in limbo a bit. I was like, oh, I don't really know what I'm going to do now. And again, like hats off to Casey Stoney. She saw the value in nutrition and the job I was doing. And she f- like fought and fought and fought behind closed doors um, for me to be full time. And... Yeah, signed a contract last July and the rest is history kind of thing. So super, super grateful that I've stepped out of uni and from a placement into the same job. It's unheard of, but um, it's like massive thanks to that case. He was the previous manager and for, for seeing value in it so, so early on. It's a pretty intense uh, kind of interview process. It sounds like a reality TV show, <laughs> isn't it? At the end, the players are going to vote for the one they want. It's, yeah, it sounds yeah, pretty intense. I thought they were going to do it in front in front of us and put the hands up, and then I was like, "Oh no, this is not this is not okay." But we went out the room, and then they, then they done the show of hands. Thank God. <laughs> So it's really interesting because you touched on something that's been my experience in a lot of organizations is, is having, you know, either one nutritionist that covers a million teams or a nutritionist that's only coming in for one day a week. So people might say, you know, what, you know, what's a nutritionist doing the rest of the time outside of that? So give us a bit of an overview. What's a day in the life look like for a full-time nutritionist at a professional you know, football club? Yeah. Um, so typical day is medical meeting at 8am every day. And um, once that, so during that, you know, you report on any players and um, you're with the performance staff and, and medical team. And then from there, before players get in, it's basically just making sure they've got everything they need. So whether that whether that be me stocking up like my nutrition supplies um, for that day or jumping on my laptop and trying to get a bit of work done before the players come in. And then, yeah, I guess it's breakfast um, and then making sure drinks outside water bottles for when the training starts what I usually do is I'm not always out for training um I try to but when you've got a lot of work so it's hard to just be out on the pitch but I'll always make sure like I'm in and around the gym before training when they're doing like the pre-activation just like having like conversations sometimes not even about nutrition just just about life which I think is important um and then yeah while they're training on, on days where they've got gym, I'll make sure like the shakes are done. Like we have like a snack trolley for them to have snacks like after the pitch session and then before the gym session. Um, and then I'm on my laptop, like liaising with hotels, sorting out like food logistics for like the away match travel, menu planning, um, all that kind of like nitty gritty stuff that no one really sees. And then yeah, players finish, and then they have lunch. Make sure I'm around for lunch. Like check in with any anyone that I need to like have a. I wouldn't say one to one. I like to keep it really like lighthearted, and I can just catch them at the dinner table if they want to jump in. You know, a quick meeting room they can. 
and then yeah once a player's gone you can get a bit more work done <laughs> um and yeah that's that's the day in life I've really just a lot of just making sure things are, are there and in sight and stocked and, and ready and then once they're gone you can get on your laptop and you know sort out the the menus and meal plans and um like data collection if you've got any research going on at that time so i know there's probably a whole a whole load of things that you haven't touched on yet so around the sort of education side of things you know and i know from you know having been in programs we have um, nutritionists as often you know it might be one-on-one um, -on -one education with players or group workshops or those kind of things so what when do those kind of take place do you, do you organize them specifically kind of in pre-season periods to get them out of the way or is it an ongoing thing throughout the season whether that's group or one-on-one -on -one? what does that yeah, look like good question um so i've only had one full pre-season with the team and that was last summer um and i got we went away to scotland and i got quite a lot of education done there i think it was like two or three uh, presentations um but in terms of throughout the throughout the season I got the opportunity to present to present three times which doesn't sound like a lot but I sort of split it into quarters so like beginning of the season mid and then towards the end um and the way I do it is I'll just jump in for five ten minutes before the analysis of a morning um obviously they, they know about it it'll be on the schedule but um, a lot of it is sort of last minute dot com kind of thing, um, as you can imagine. But yeah, I try. There's never time in football, which I'm, I'm, like I'm sure you, you're aware of. So you really have just got to make time. And if that's five minutes before analysis, um, then you just got to take it. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll do that quite a lot. And then from those presentations, um, usually it's like a some data collection that we're going to do on the team, whether it be um, like this weekend against Birmingham, we're going to um, monitor carbohydrate intake at halftime. And then it's on me then to set that up and um, make sure everything's in place, monitor it. And then we'll do a bit more education and we'll do it again to get pre and post data. That's the way I like, I've been liking to do it the past couple of years. So yeah, they had, they've had quite, quite a bit of education, but there's still so much that you want to do, but, time is an issue so you just got to think of what what is the most important and what are the priorities right now to impact performance mm. so let's dig into a few of the kind of i guess more specific things so one of the things you've already touched on which is a great a great topic for us to dig into a bit more is around stress factors and, and you know calorie intake and expender and under, under fueling so talk us through what's the link there because stress factors are one of those things that you know a lot of people think oh it just happens but actually as you've pointed out there are underpinning things that could be influencing that from a nutritional perspective so what are those things how does that play out why, why are the yeah. two related yeah so it's it's a common common injury those stress factors are a sign of something called red which is a, a diagnosis that female well males and females get when they are in often got low energy availability so they're expending way more energy than they're taking in so the the calories aren't enough what they're, what they're eating compared to, you know, the training load and, and volume. So a lot of the time what happens is there's, whether it be a stress, stress fracture to the ankle, um, like the back, which is common in, in teenagers, um, 
that is one of the sort of red flags. And then obviously from there, if, if that does happen, that's where I come in. Um, and we, I guess the, the first thing I'll do is speak to the player, but then we'll, we'll ask for a food diary, like assessment. So I like to do the food photography method. So get them to take pictures of the food with a little bit of a description. Um, and then I'll, I'll be able to see what the training or was, training volume was pre-injury. And then we'll try to piece it together. The doctor will be linked in. He'll be taking bloods, um, you know, to see what the iron levels are and everything else. So, yeah, it's quite a sort of multidisciplinary, um, like, hands-on strategy that we do. But, yeah, I guess in female specifically, reds is an issue. Um, as a nutritionist and I guess as a medical team, you don't want any female dropping into reds because they're at risk of injury. Um, and you know that they are low in energy, so they're not gonna be able to, you know, put out that intensity like day after day in training sessions and in matches. So yeah, I guess nutrition plays a huge, huge part in that, ensuring that they've got enough calories and mentally like, they're comfortable with with food and carbohydrates so there's a there's a bigger picture with females I think um in terms of fueling and that risk of under fueling and, and maybe why why they do it some females they don't know they're doing it it's just an education thing um where I guess some some females may still have that maybe like carb phobic phobia so they're not getting in the calories that they should be and then that impacts performance and you know worst case scenario is they get injured yeah it's kind of one of the things that i wanted to dig into around that kind of i guess i don't know if it's social media or it's you know some of the body image things but you know that kind of carb phobic is, is things that kind of pop, pops up now and again with female athletes and as you say can lead to reds and you know more serious issues like stress factors etc so presumably the link there is you know not having sufficient calories to have good bone health and sustain yeah. training volume at the same time so something has to give and it ends up being the you know the health of your bones yeah and it's that um like low bone mineral density is is sort of the, the term and what you look out for and um i think this season like we haven't had any players this season um that have been diagnosed with reds i think there may have been a couple, um, and it's it's quite complicated because you can't you can't um, it's not black and white if you know players are on the a contraceptive pill or any any other type of contraceptive. So um, it's quite hard that in that sense to identify unless you you're looking at someone and thinking you know they've dramatically dropped weight maybe. But yeah, I think when you mention social media and body image, like personally, I think that definitely plays, plays a part. I'm quite passionate in, in this topic of, of body image and, you know, without going into the, the boring science and sort of recommended intakes, the female recommended intake is, you know, six to eight grams per kilo of carbohydrates that the players to have the day before a game, the day of a game. And that's not happening for a lot of players but what are the reasons like what are the barriers to that like why it's not because the a lot of them aren't choosing not to some of them just don't know the values of food 
which can be easily fixed. But then obviously there, there are some some athletes who I guess with Instagram and um and social media it's it's an extra pressure to maybe look good. Um so maybe that has an impact on them not wanting to eat, you know, that high carb meal that I want them to eat. Or, and I'm not, I'm not just talking of my experience in Man United. I'm thinking of like the bigger picture, like why on other teams or in, you know, females in other sports hitting, you know, the recommended carb intake and calorie intakes. And I think social media and the presence it has now and um, that, like the hold it has over a lot of people is definitely a massive influence and barrier at the same time. So obviously, you know, if someone is uh, underfueling unintentionally, then it's, you know, maybe an education piece and you can change that behaviour. But if there is something that's a bit more psychologically a barrier or a hurdle, that's then, a, I guess, a different kettle of fish, a different route to go down, isn't it? Because if someone's specifically making the choice, no, I don't want to hit that recommendation of six to eight grams, you know, I'm, I'm I'm trying to do, trying to keep it down because I want to look a certain way or, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to aspire to this kind of body type, et cetera. How do you go down the kind of re-education and the kind of, I guess, mindset change down that route to actually look, we, we are looking to fuel performance. And if we're not fueling, then your performance is going to suffer and your injury risk goes up. How do you kind of switch tracks? Yeah. Um, I think it's a really complex like nutrition's simple for one person but really complex for someone else and I think you've really got to um be mindful of that with who you're speaking to um and you know try to understand the player's history of nutrition and maybe weight body weight and um, if they've had any issues in the past if like my one-to-one so to speak like if we're talking about energy intake and um and trying to education educate them in that in that sense if 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 i'm sort of hitting a brick wall with that i can link in the doctor um and the physio team especially if they are injured it's it's good to link in the physios um because then you've got another voice um and they can back you to be like you you your recovery process is potentially going to be longer because there's no fuel to fuel rehab or not enough fuel, I should say. And then if the doctor needs to be linked in, then he can um, refer externally for like maybe psych support if they need, um, you know, an external dietitian who's specialised in, in this area, which is sort of something that I can't, can't really get to with with my background and qualifications yeah i think that's important to highlight isn't it when something's outside your scope of practice you know if 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 it's an unintentional thing and it's oh we need to improve you know carbohydrate intake here's a method for doing that versus you know a, a diagnosed eating disorder that's outside the scope of a practice for a nutritionist and requires referral out to it to a bigger side of things doesn't it and then it, there's a bit more at play and i think it's important for people to recognise where your scope of practice starts and ends. And nutrition can be a bit of a grey area sometimes, can't it? Yeah, and you obviously want to help every single person, but I've learned quickly that you, you can't. And it, it's, you know, it's wise to just pass it on and and make sure that, you know, that person that is, is needing help can 
can seek it and maybe just rest assured that you you have help because you've you've done sort of your groundwork and um hopefully like the message can potentially hit home when they see someone more sort of superior and who's an expert in in that field so yeah luckily we have not had to go down that route very many times um in the past but there's always a education piece when someone gets injured say if they've you know they've done a hamstring and out for you know six to eight weeks there's always a conversation with me there's always like an injury document that they'd be sent to be like these are the priorities that we want to hit and like nutritionally whether it be um like creatine supplementation protein intake and they'll have a few priorities that they they need to hit on a daily basis um so even for players who haven't got a an issue with food, it's always important to educate them at any given opportunity. So if they get injured, let's think of let's think of the bigger picture, like why why they got injured. It might not have been nutrition, but if you start to drop in little messages around um, like injury nutrition and how to get out quicker, <laughs> kind of thing, you'll often buy in it it's just a good opportunity to build another relationship with it with a player yeah often often uh when you're fitting healthy a lot of this stuff just washes over you it's not until you're injured and you're thinking okay now maybe i'll pay a bit more attention in prehab or i'll pay a bit more attention yeah. to, my, to my diet etc so i guess a good, a good question probably is then where is the line between like disordered eating and an eating disorder in terms of you know fixing a few maybe dietary habits versus someone who probably needs more of that psychological support around actually there's something a bit deeper going on here it's not you know adding a few more carbohydrates to your meals it's something we need a bit more support here what would be some of the red flags that you, that you would kind of think okay that's kind of some science I need to refer out yeah um like disorders eating is so common like I think I've got it like sometimes I'll if I like say I'm having a huge, I know I'm eating out and I'm having a huge meal at dinner, I'll miss lunch but have breakfast, like in the context of, and the meaning of disordered eating, that's probably it. Um, but then when there's a crossover to an eating disorder, it's, it's a good question, I don't know if I'm like fully like equipped to answer it, but I'll try my best. So I, I think I've had an experience um, in the past season um, in another team where there's been a player who clearly had has an eating disorder. And I guess the difference for me was, or how I I noticed it in comparison to like, you know, your average player who who hasn't. I think definitely how they and this is not meaning to be sort of stereotypical, like how they look, like in my experience, that person didn't look like your average footballer, female footballer. Um, like they were obviously on the thinner side, um, with not much muscle mass or body fat, even to say. Um, and then this is me just talking about my experience with with, with someone who who did have an eating disorder. So mine was the words that they'd say and the way they'd say it around food. Um, like it, they were like they were scared. They were scared of it, um, and it was, it was really hard for me because I I wouldn't say I'm hugely experienced in, in well I'm not experienced in this area. So I was like, oh okay, 
but I still had a job to do. Like I needed to educate that person that, you know, carbohydrates are fuel, like they're not gonna gain unnecessary weight, um, it'll enhance performance. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to like round that answer up. I'm trying to like think of that experience and it obviously wasn't it wasn't a nice one. Um but I don't know. I just knew from the things he was saying and the amount of times I was saying the same message and it it was just going in one ear and out the other. And it was definitely more of a mental battle that they were having rather than they just don't fancy that having that fatigue. Um there's more yeah, attitudes towards towards food. Yeah, yeah, it was it was definitely not, like the attitude was was different and the perception of what food was or what carbohydrates were was different to your you know your average Joe. Mm. So one of the additional things I guess you know you mentioned reds you know can happen in both males and females perhaps more so in females but equally is something to look out for. But I guess another element with female athletes is around menstrual health because you know with that. Um, you know, like dropping calories. Okay, yeah, we're getting perhaps you know um, compromised bone mineral density, but also menstrual health starts to suffer as well. So, can you speak a little bit to, to that in terms of what are some of the, I guess, warning signs? And not not that it's visible, but for athletes themselves, but also in terms of maybe how you monitor that or, or how you have those discussions with athletes. Yeah. Um, well, at the the club, they have a wellness app, which I you know is being re we sort of amped for, for the coming season so all wellness data will be on an app so players fill it in before breakfast and they would maybe say if you know it would sort of get to the point where they know what site uh, part of the cycle they're in um so you know the medical team and performance team can visually see where players are at for the for the coming day and you know they can report it to coaches but I guess if we specifically talk about menstrual cycle, um, then and sort of that low energy and low calorie intake, I think one of the the most common signs is when a player who isn't on any contraception contraception loses the period or it becomes irregular. Um, so I I don't mind talking about my experience with this. So um, I. When I was competing in CrossFit, I'm going to go back to 2018. I went on a training, like a nutrition plan, and I was like training super hard. And I lost my period for six months. But at the time, I didn't know what I knew now. <laughs> so I was just not really that bothered that I'd lost it. I was like, ah, okay, I'm going on holiday. I'm not too bothered about this. Um, when knowing what I know now, I was like, wow, that's that wasn't a great... <laughs> six months was not like okay that's a long time to for your reproductive system to not be working efficiently and that was all down to lower calories going in than you know well low calorie intake and then high training load um and i guess this this is the thing with it with some females so it could be that there's an under 21s player that has came up to the first team and they are now being exposed to a new environment, which can cause an, an like an extra stress because we know stress can also um, cause irregular like irregularities in 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 your period. Um, 
and I've actually got a, a good example of this um, from my time at Man United. So a player came up from the 21s. They were in a new environment. The training programme changed. The intensity was higher. The volume was higher. And that person was probably in the same and, you know, didn't think anything of it. And she lost her period for, for two months. So that obviously, like, she reported that and we were able to sort of jump in at the right time before it got any worse, before it became, you know, more of an injury concern. But that's definitely one of the, the first port of call. Like, is the player on a pill? If not, um, it's sort of an easier way to detect. But I guess it, for those players that are on a contraceptive pill, um, they can sort of mask this area of reds. So I guess it's sort of being a bit more vigilant in terms of like how they're looking visually. Like, are they, did they look like they dropped weight recently? Um, what are their portion sizes look like at, at lunch, dinner and breakfast? Like, has there been any changes there? Are they naturally, or are they intentionally eating less? Um, what did it look like on the pitch? So linking with the coaches, like what one of the coaches might just say, oh, do you know what, such and such, like didn't look, look like she'd have no energy today. Like she couldn't cover what we wanted to cover. And usually like simple conversations like that can just make you focus on that person a little bit more. It could be nothing, but it, but it could be something. So I guess it's just having good comms, which I know is a big issue across any, um, you know, organisation, just communication, it can always be better. Yeah, I think that's one of the things, and certainly this is something I've experienced as well. <clears throat> Previously, we had females in the Scottish Rugby Academy, was a player, you know, I kind of started building quite a good coach-athlete relationship with, kind of confided in me and said exactly that. I haven't had my period for six months. And to me, that was flashing alarm bells. And, you know, mm -hmm. when I spoke to the other, you know, coaching staff members who were male, they were like, okay what does that mean is that good is it bad like you know there's a, there's a bit of an education piece there to say actually no as you said that's a sign your reproductive system isn't functioning properly mm -hmm. which is should you know should ring an alarm bell that actually okay and then it was that exact scenario that you just mentioned that player went from being part-time to full-time mm -hmm. nutrition wasn't ma matching training volume yeah um, and I think that's something people or and certainly youth athletes maybe haven't kind of wrapped their head around is that you know when training volume goes up the calorie intake has to go up. And, has to follow. Know, Otherwise, not going to. Exactly. Yeah. And vice versa. You know, if you're injured and you're out for six months, you don't need to eat like you're playing and training, you know, mm -hmm. every day of the week like you were previously. And I, I think there's a bit of education piece around there to, you know, say, actually, we need to be matching this in accordance with what we're doing. So, you know, if it's pre-season and we're working really hard, it probably needs to go up. If it's the off-season and you're away on the beach in Marbella, you don't need as much. You know, like <laughs> yeah. there's, there's an education piece there to say we need to make these you know, inputs and outputs in the same sort of direction. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and I guess a lot like the, the example you said, it's not the player doing it intentionally. It's just, you know, it's just a lack of awareness, like not doing anything wrong. It's just then, you know, you stepping in and giving them a gentle nudge to be like, OK, you're now covering, you know, an extra, I don't know, 10K a day than you were, you know, two months ago. And we need to match that with with what's going in to to give you the best chance of, you know, staying injury free and actually adapting to your training. So one of the things we haven't touched on yet is around that halftime fueling. So is it a case of your classic pull out, whip out the box of oranges at halftime, or is there a bit more to it? <laughs> no, our group are too fussy for oranges. Um, 
yeah, I guess I'm trying to think of how it's evolved over the past season. So we actually done a, a new a research piece at the beginning of the season, or, or maybe it was like maybe November time. And we're doing it across three games. So the first game was they had no education. It was just they had their own, um, like it was like a Chinese takeaway box, like a clear box. It had, you know, every type of um, carbohydrate snack um, that was available so they could choose, you know, they could take as many as they want out of it. And I was the one that monitored it. Um, so it was purely carbohydrates that we were focusing on. So obviously inputted all the data and it was the following week that I give some education on it. So I was like, this is the recommended intakes like for half time. Um, we're going to give you the opportunity to practice this again. So they had the opportunity the next game to practice it without me collecting any data just for them to get familiar with, with doing it. Um, and seeing what worked and what didn't. And then it wasn't until the game after that we analysed it again. So from, from, from the data that I collected, I set the target as um, 60 grams of carbohydrates, which for the listeners and for context, that's essentially two bananas, so it's two medium bananas. Um, so they say your body can, you know, oxidise 30 grams per hour. Um, but I wanted to set it at 60. Um because I think, you know, 90% of them have a gel, which is around 22, 23. So I wanted to set it, the, the target higher because of the, like the intensity of the game, like distance covered and, and all that stuff. So um, in my experience from, from my data collection, they, they made a positive improvement um, and it became a competition, as you can imagine. So um something that I didn't think would happen if I'm being honest <laughs> um it was it was a competition so it was like oh how many did you how many grams did you get and they wanted to know like a leaderboard in the end which for me I was happy with because it made them habitually eat more at half time um but I guess I think the average went from let's have a think oh I should really know this it was in the 30s to then in the 40s there was like a maybe a t- 12 gram increase it's really bad that I can't remember that data but um I can't think of it off the top of my head but like competition aside the main you know improvement was the fact that it was on their mind at half time it was like get in you know instead of them having what they usually have which may have been you know like half a Gatorade and a gel now they were having like a full Gatorade and two gels or they were having you know, three different carb sources. So being able to um, have it in their mind was was really good and they got consistent with it across the season. So, and them understanding why. So like they have to replace the energy that they've lost in the first half to be able to even try and hit the levels of first half performance in the second half. So um, I guess me being picky I what I want to evolve now and get better at is say for example we had a player who hit 60 grams of carbs so she get you know two bananas and a few jellies can that person 
still hit the same amount, but in one source. So can it be a high carb drink instead of three different types, which could cause, you know, stomach distress and stomach issues, especially when it's hot. So that's how I'd like to evolve the, the education piece for, for pre-season and into next season. Yeah, that's great. And I think it's always difficult when you're doing nutritional research in, in practice because, you know, people will say, oh, how did that affect the performance? It's like, well, you're playing a different team on a different day with a slightly different lineup. And you, it's not, yeah. all the controllables aren't exactly the same. You know, they weren't 2-0 two two down at halftime again the second week yeah. or whatever it was. So you can't always extrapolate that out to the result of the pitch. But if those individuals are feeling that they're putting the outputs or, or you've got some GPS metrics to say, hey, you're still hitting some of those speeds, et cetera. Mm -hmm. That kind of backs it up but it's 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 a bit like injury prevention there's so many factors it's hard to yeah. pin down and say oh well you now covered 10 kilometers because we did calf raises yeah it's obviously not true but there's a there's an element there around okay we know you're more likely to have those outputs if you're fueled properly and that suggests you're fueling properly because we've made this change so yeah. it's obvious to see that so what's next for you in the next sort of 12 to 18 months obviously it's it's uh off season now so pre-season coming up have you got any other research yeah. projects in the pipeline or um do you know what I've not I wouldn't say research projects at the minute like I'm, I'm definitely going to do some um you know research with the team in pre-season and next season probably hydration and uh, monitoring and testing in pre-season because I think we're going away to a different country um in August for pre-season potentially and that'll be the first time that I've experienced the pre-season in a different country in a different climate so I'd like to monitor the sweat rates and the sodium losses if possible but I know that's a big job and may cost quite a lot of money and <laughs> um, that's a dream um, and I guess just nothing specific but definitely just build on the carbohydrate um, you know fuel and recovery just continue to break down the barriers um, and I think like on a personal level I'd like to like I've been thinking about a PhD for a while and it's something that, and if you asked me last, you know, at the start of my master's or the end of my master's when, you know, <laughs> I was a shell of me for myself and I was just so stressed. I was like, no, never, ever, ever again am I doing education. But I don't know, I just, I'm just that type of person that I just feel like a little bit unfulfilled and like, yeah. I don't know. I've had a few conversations and I'd like to do, you know, obviously do it at Manchester United uh, in the women's team or whether it be in the younger age groups. Um, but I'd also like some more nutrition support for the under 21s and, and academy, so the RTC. So we've had an amazing intern in the past season who's done a great job. But that's the thing with an intern, like there for six months and you know someone else comes in but I'd like to really put my energy into trying to get something more solid so that you know the, the nutrition service and the nutrition team at, you know on the women's side can can evolve and, and get better yeah I think that's always the battle isn't it like you especially at the senior level you're dealing with a group of players you have but you're actually also thinking actually if I can improve what's happening a squad or two below us in age groups then you know three, four, five years time, getting players who are already on top of this stuff. They're already yeah. on top of fueling or on top of carbohydrate intake. And, you know, selfishly it makes your job easier, but it also means you're kind of steering them clear of future issues, or you can start to have you know, deeper conversations about other topics, but it's yeah. always part of the battle is that when you're in season, you're responsible for one squad thinking, okay, I need to set up a program for an intern in yeah. the under 18s, under 21s, but 
actually we've got Liverpool this weekend and think about that. So it's always a sort of short-term, long-term battle, isn't it? But definitely, yeah, yeah it sounds like you're, you're heading the right way because I think those habits at the younger ages are massive, isn't it, for that yeah, huge. career? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So where can people find out more about what you're doing and, and track you down on social media? What's the best place to find you? Yeah, so on Instagram, um, it's at Committed Nutrition 2020. And then on Twitter, it's Amy Ellen One. Um, a-I-M-E-E-E-L-L-E-N and then the number one and then yeah I think I think that's that's everywhere really Brilliant. and if anyone wants to drop me an email I can um you can find me on um, the committed nutrition email um committed nutrition at outlook.com awesome well thanks so much for your time today thanks for digging into some of that stuff around reds and around you know, the importance of carbohydrates for, for female athletes in particular. I know that's going to be useful for a lot of people because it's something that pops up time and again. So thanks for, for helping us out with that and digging into that. It's been a, a real pleasure chatting to you. So thanks for your time. No, you're very welcome. Thank you very much. Don't forget, you can find us on Instagram using the account at LTAD Network, as well as Twitter at LTAD Network, and find our website www.ltadnetwork.com. Thanks for listening to this episode. And don't forget to get your seven-day free trial to our online platform as well as 50% off your first month with the code LTADVIP50.